Lord, I'm struggling. Show me what I have to be thankful for. You're a guest with us today, or actually regulars. We're doing things a little bit different today. As you can tell, the band is still up here on the stage. We're going to do some uh, teaching, and then we're going to um, do some singing, and we're going to experience the Lord's Supper today. Um, so things are quite a bit different than usual, but uh, just want you to know that, that we haven't lost our minds. Well, the jury's out on that, but um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> couple of announcements on the back of your uh, listening guide. Today, as soon as church is over, we have our Discovering uh, Church Membership, our Class 101. If you're interested in joining New Life, everybody has to go through this. Um, I went through it. My family has gone through it. Everybody has to simply because we want you to fully understand why we do things the way we do at New Life. If you're interested in joining, we want you to have all the info up front. And so um, we do that in the class. We feed you. If you have children, we take care of the kids. We feed them. And so that's as soon as church is over, right back out here in the living room. Even if you hadn't signed up, it's still okay. You can stay with us, and we'll get you out of here quickly today. Tonight is the last small group um, meeting of the, the this semester. Celebrate Recovery will continue to meet, but we won't meet again after tonight until January small group. So you want to come finish up. We're talking about the Holy Spirit tonight. We'll finish up that discussion. This Wednesday, because of Thanksgiving, there won't be any youth activities or any activities, King's Kids... Um, hype, any of that stuff. Nothing will be going on this Wednesday. Have a great um, holiday together with your family. Next Sunday is baptism. So if you're interested in being baptized, uh, please see me after church. If I've already talked to you and I'm expecting you, that's cool. But if you've not talked to me about baptism, you're interested, let me know so that we can make sure uh, we have enough towels and enough stuff like that for next week. Now, um, as I was thinking about this Sunday before Thanksgiving. I was thinking about this whole series, Twisting the Truth. Some of you haven't been here the whole time. Way back when we started this series, we said that there is an invisible enemy who wants to make an impact on the visible world. And we said, just like there are germs that you cannot see. Back in the 1800s, they didn't understand germs, and they had this thing called spontaneous... Um, it wasn't combustion. It was, uh, anyway, th- this idea that, that things just appeared out of nothing. And then uh, Louis Pasteur and some some scientists of that time discovered that there is an unseen world. You can see it with a microscope, but to the bare eye, you can't see it. And they discovered that this unseen world, if left to its own devices, will suddenly invade the seen world, you, your family, your, your life, and all of a sudden cause illness that then becomes seen. And we said that the spiritual world always parallels the physical world. And so there is an invisible Jesus, the one we say we follow. God the Father, Jesus, says there is an invisible world. There is an invisible enemy named the devil, named Satan, who desires to destroy you. It's his life's passion. It's his life's work. He wants to destroy you. And he does it behind the scenes. And he does it through deception. So what, what we've done this whole series is we've looked at a series of things, uh, topics where Satan just twists the truth just enough that you begin to buy the lie. And when you buy the lie, it's not long until you're walking away from God. So today I wanted to focus on this idea of what do I have to be thankful for? Because the lie is, the big lie today is that you need more to be happy. Because if I were to survey you when you walked in, most of you, if I'd have said, man, are you content with where you are? Most of us say, yeah, I'm okay. What would make you happy? And it's almost always a little bit more. And, and you have your more that you define, and I have my more that I define, because, you know, now that I have a motorcycle, it's always something for the motorcycle. Just a little bit more, and I'll be happy. And then you get that, and just a little more, right? So we buy this lie, I need a little bit more to be happy. 
Well, years ago, um, I was in is my first full time youth ministry position in, in Austin, Texas, and uh, I went through a very very dark period there. I'd been out of the ministry for about a year. And, and went to my brother's church, and God did some incredible things in my life, healing in my life. And then God drugged me, kicking and screaming, back into the ministry. Because when I got out of college, I was like, I'm never doing that again. I was in a small church, got hurt in that small church, and I said, I will never do that again. Well, here I am, 28 years later, and I'm still in church. Um, but God drugged me back into the ministry. My first full-time position, I went to Austin, Texas. And uh, there were four full-time staff members there. And I was the youth minister, youth and youth music. And so we were, we were kind of going along, and the, and the church was about twice the size of, of New Life. And uh, big old campus, and we had, we had a gym. I mean, we, were, we had everything, all those things that they say you need more of as a church, we had it all. And so the church was rocking, and then all of a sudden, um, the pastor went through some marital problems, and um, he got divorced. And the, the deacon said, as long as you uh, do not remarry or let us know about the remarriage thing we will support you anyway long story short it came down to the pastor was going to resign because he wanted to get married well last minute someone came to him and he said we can beat this and he said we can uh um we can we can win this vote because the the deacons were going to ask him to resign so we find out the other three staff members we find out that he is going to fight it in, in church. And so we were going to have this big vote on a Wednesday night and he was going to, to present his case. And, and what we didn't know, all the staff members were like, man, anytime you say fight in a church, we don't believe that brings glory to God. And so the three staff members said, we believe you're on the wrong side of this. We believe that you need to honor God and, and whether these deacons are right or not, that's not even the issue. You're trying to fight this thing. So what happened was normally on a Wednesday night, we would have about 30 people for prayer meeting. Y'all, y'all have seen Baptist churches, you know, you have five or six cars on a Wednesday night and, and the, the really spiritual people are there. Um, I say that with a smile on my face. And, and they come and pray. On this particular Wednesday night, we had over 400 people show up. Because what had been going on was the pastor had some friends in the church and they were on this phone call thing and they were calling people who were still on the roll but hadn't been to the church. I'd been there a couple of years. They'd never been there in the two years I'd been on staff. They showed up at church. And so I'm standing there with a brand new Christian friend of mine, and, and he's going, man, I don't know these people. And he goes, I don't know them, I don't know them, I don't know them. And I said, I said, something's been going on behind the scenes that we don't realize. We get in there, and anyway, there's this big, long thing, and it's one of the most hideous scenes I've ever seen in church life. And so then, by the end, we take a vote. And the vote was 60% for the pastor and 40% against. And now, if you're in the political world, a 60% vote is awesome. Any, any politician would love that, and they would say it's a landslide. If you're in a Baptist church, and you have 60%, only a fool, I'm telling you, only a fool would go on staff with a 60% vote, because that's 40% are already against you. Now, here's the problem. On the Sunday after that, this was a Wednesday night, Sunday after that, 200 people left our church. The 200 people who left were the deacons, the tithers, the Sunday school workers, the people that I considered the godly people in our church left. And those, those other people who had come and voted for the pastor were nowhere to be seen. Because they didn't go to church. They just showed up to, to do a vote on a Wednesday night. And so I sat in this big old church, about twice the size of our worship center here, and half the number of you. And I sat there, and I, and I thought, in the, in the Old Testament, there's a time when, when um, the glory of God departed from from the children of Israel, 
And this woman had a baby and she named the baby Ichabod because the, the name Ichabod means the glory has departed. And I sat there and there was a chill in that room. And it was a very dark period in my life because I thought, wow, this is my first church. And I've just watched the devil, the invisible enemy, win against my church. And it was a, it was a sorry feeling. About that time, I had some friends in the church. They were, they were as close as family to me. They lied to me about a situation. And I found out about it later, and I'm going, okay. The glory of God's departed from my church. My, my best friends have lied to me about some issues. This, this, is, this is awesome. And then, on top of that, there's a girl that I was interested in. And um, <laughs> so I'd gone out with her several times, and she was pretty cute. And, and you know, we were kind of clicking. And, and so I thought, wow, you know, this, this may go somewhere. And so one night, I go to pick her up. Now, this is kind of funny, because one of the kids in my youth group worked at a flower shop. And, and I, it was way too early in the relationship, in my opinion, to give her flowers. But he worked at a flower shop, and they were free. He's like, this stuff was just hanging around. You got a new girl, take her the flowers. I'm like, okay. So I take her flowers. And it's this nice, big old bouquet. So I pick her up, and, and I'd never met her family. Because when I would pick her up the door, she would we would rush out to the car and leave. And I was like, man, this is weird. You know, she was out of college, but she was still living at home trying to get a job and all that stuff. So anyway, so this time I show up with the flowers. She runs in to put them in the, in a vase and the dad comes to the door and he said, I need to talk to you. I'm like, yes, sir. So I walk in and sit down and she comes back and she is white as a sheet. And she kind of sits on the opposite side of the room. I'm like, there's a problem here. Well, come to find out, she had a boyfriend. Not just a boyfriend. She was engaged. She would take the ring off when I would come to pick her up. And she put the ring back on whenever I would drop her off at the house. And so the dad said, I don't know what kind of man you are, but you're a marriage wrecker. And I'm like, dude, I did not know. I said, you need to talk to her. And I got up and walked out the door. And then on top of all that, my dog went blind. I'm kidding. That didn't happen for another five years. <laughs> my dog really did go blind, but that was five years later. And that was Janie's fault. But that's another story altogether. Um, that was after marriage. I'll tell you that, that later. Now, I went through a very, very dark period in my life. Because, oh, and I even forgot the house. I'd, I lived in a house for the first time. I'd been in apartments. I lived in a house and I'd bought all this furniture for the house. And the landlord was a member of the church and the member. And he comes up to me one day and he goes, hey, man, my, my daughter wants that house. So you've got two weeks to get out. So everything that would have topped it off if the dog had gone blind or died, you know, or whatever. But but I went through this really dark time because, OK, I'm single. I'm alone. And I would go into my bedroom at night and sometimes I would cry myself to sleep. Because I said, God, this isn't what I signed up for. Church isn't supposed to be like this. The Christian life isn't supposed to be like this. And I started journaling at that time. And I would write. And sometimes I'd write pages and pages and pages. And cry out to God and say, this is not right. And I can look back now, almost 25 years later. I can look back now and, and see that it was at that moment of my life. That God began to show me what's really important. And what's not so important. And, and I discovered a psalm that day. Psalm 34. That I have not only read many times when I've gone through dark days. But I have quoted these verses to others who are really struggling. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 34. And we're going to look at the first uh, eight verses. 
And if you have your smartphones, it's, it's legal to, you know, if, with a Bible app. That's the only reason it's legal to have your smartphone on is if you have a Bible app on there. Um, and and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through the first eight verses. Because my question to you today is, what do you do when you go through dark days? What do you do when you are struggling? Because for whatever reason, the holiday time is when there are more suicides, there's more depression, there's more stuff that goes on during the holidays than at any other time during the year. And I think that that the enemy is trying to destroy us at what should be the most happy time of life. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Not in reality for a lot of people. Now, see, I got I to give you the backstory because when you understand the backstory, it makes the Bible come alive. And what's going on here? David is not king yet. David wrote this psalm. He's not king yet. He has been anointed king, but he has not gotten the throne yet. Saul is the king, and Saul is not a good guy. Saul got jealous of David because of the whole Goliath thing. David kills Goliath, and when they came back from the war, they, they sang a song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, this boy, has killed his ten thousands. And Saul gets jealous. David worked in the uh, temple and he would play the harp. Whenever the evil spirits, the Bible says, when the evil spirits would torment Saul, David would play on his harp and it would soothe him. Well, one day, Saul is watching this, listening to this, and he just gets totally angry, jumps up, grabs a spear, and tries to pin David to the wall. That's some employer issues right there. I don't think you've ever had it that bad. And so David has to run for his life. And it gets so bad... That Saul gets the army and starts chasing David all over the countryside. David's hiding out in caves. And, and I'm sure David's thinking, I'm supposed to be king someday. What am I doing in a cave? And he's eating bread. And, and sometimes he doesn't have water. And, and, and Saul is chasing him. Finally, he takes all of his family and he moves to another country. Just to get away from Saul. And in this, before this Psalm 38, he goes to a town called Gath. Do you know who grew up in Gath? Goliath, you're desperate if you run to the city of the king of the of the the captain of the Philistines, the one that they look to, the warrior that you killed, you chopped off his head, and all of a sudden you're hiding in the city where he grew up. Do you think people like you? David goes to this city to hide from from Saul, and uh, so the king is Achish, is the name of the king. And the king hears, his counselors come up and they say, this, and, and they even say, it's kind of funny, they say, is not this the David who they sang about? Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. I think it's really funny that the enemy even knows this song that made Saul so jealous. And he said, we think, the counselor said, we think David is here to, over, to, to plot to overthrow your kingdom. And, and he's going to do this soon, so you need to kill him. So they lock the gates, because you had to go out the gates to get out of the city. They lock the gates, and David is trapped with a few of his men. And he finds out that Achish is going to kill you. The king is going to kill you. So David does an ingenious thing. He acts like he's insane. This is all in the scripture. If you want to read about it, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 21, starting in verse 11. But he, he starts foaming at the mouth, and he starts running up to the gate and throwing himself against the gate. <laughs> So he has a beard and there's spit running down his beard and he's running around and he's just... And, and so Achish sees all this and Achish calls in his counselors and he's going, that dude's a threat? And, and Achish says, I don't need any more madmen in my city. Open the gate and let him go. We got enough madmen. And, and it's kind of funny, in that culture, if you were insane, they assumed 
that the, that the gods, lowercase g, not the God in heaven, they assumed that the gods were tormenting you, and so they, you were off limits to be tormented by a human. So David goes free. After he goes free, he writes this psalm. All right, now let's start reading it. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. You see, David not only was going through a dark period in his life, he had a near-death experience. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. When, when something happens and all of a sudden, everything in life becomes crystal clear. When you think you may die, everything that's important comes into your mind. All the stuff that's not important. Because you probably don't think about the mortgage when you're about to die. You probably don't think about your car needs a tune-up when you're about to die. The really important things come into your mind. And he knew he was going to die and God delivered him and he starts singing his praises. And so that's number one. Here's the statement I want you to carry from this psalm. God deserves praise. God does, deserves praise when your life is going well. God deserves praise when your life sucks. Because he's bigger than your life. He's bigger than your circumstances. When Jesus was walking on the earth, do you remember one of his number one criticisms against his own followers? He would say, O ye of little faith, belief. One time they couldn't cast out a demon. He goes, how long do I have to put up with you, you men of little faith? Other times they did different things. He go, oh, you men of little faith. Jesus, Jesus scolded them for their teeny tiny faith. But in the Old Testament, you never hear of God scolding David for his lack of faith. David had this big faith. David prayed bold prayers and didn't expect God. Uh, he didn't just say, oh, God, I know you can do it. He expected God to do it. I saw this. Uh, the Colanders have this plaque on, on the wall. And it says uh, faith is not knowing God can do something. It's believing he will do something. That's faith. That's the type of man that David was. He prayed Bold prayers, God delivered him, and all of a sudden this praise, this gushes out of him. He's going, oh, I'm going to tell of God's greatness. I'm going to sing of God's greatness forever and ever. But it's almost like when he starts this, he realizes something is missing. It's like he can't praise God enough. God is so big that he needs some help praising. So he calls everyone who will listen to come and worship with him. Let us exalt his name together. So he felt inadequate. He said, let's worship together. It's as, it's as if he feels if all of their voices together might begin to show God how great he is. See, I don't know if, if you've ever been a place where a lot of people were singing God's praises at one time. It's one of the things that's nearest and dearest to my heart. I love youth camp for that reason. Back in 96, there was a clergy promise keepers in the Atlanta, Georgia Dome. 50,000 staff members pastors and, and associate pastors. And when we sang together, you could feel the building reverberate. And there's an old hymn that says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. When I was a kid, you know how literal kids are? I thought that was the dumbest line I'd ever heard. Because in my mind, I saw, I'm like standing there and I have a thousand tongues. And I thought that'd be really gross. But now that I'm older, here's what I think. I think the psalmist was saying, I really wish I had a thousand people to sing God's praise with me. So we're just going to stop right now. And we're going to sing a praise hymn to God.
If you know it, I want you to sing out loud. Let's stand and let's sing.
Do you feel the spirit move? Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there in their midst. And when we begin to praise him, when we join our hearts as one, he reveals himself to us. Maybe seated. Something about worshiping together gives us a heightened sense of God's presence. Did you feel that? I mean, it's part of why we're supposed to gather together regularly. The Bible says we're supposed to make a habit of worship. We're supposed to worship privately. I do that every week. But something about gathering together with other believers makes us more aware of who God is and helps fill us up emotionally and spiritually. See, worship is really about singing about what God has done. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? That's in the past. It's about declaring what Jesus has done. It's about declaring what he's doing right now. Right now, he's my king. And people all over the world today are worshiping him. There will be people today who for the first time ever will be proclaiming him as the Lord of their lives. They have been adopted into God's family. Today will be the day of their spiritual birthday. God is still at work. Jesus said, my father is always at work around us. And we're supposed to be working too. And then worship is about declaring what's going to happen in the future. When we take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, one of the things that Jesus said is, often as you, do the, as you take the Lord's Supper, you proclaim my death until I return. There is something happening in the future. Jesus is coming back. Everything He has promised to do, He's done. God always fulfills His promises. So as we worship together, it reminds us of that. And see, when, when David is, is talking here, I will always praise the Lord. I will call to Him. It, it sounds to me like he believes in a real and personal God. Not some distant God who doesn't care about what's going on. See, there, there, there is a group of people who believe that, oh yeah, maybe this place was created by God, but he's not interested in what we're doing. That's not what David believed. David believed that God was real and he was very personal. Pick it up in verse 4. David says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. This is one of my favorite verses and I've quoted it over and over. For the angel of the Lord is guard, is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Notice how personal it was. He says, I prayed. He answered, being God. God freed me. I prayed. He listened. He saved me. And then he finishes with this military description of God. In the New American Standard, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear, them, fear him, and he rescues them. See, here's what I want you to, to understand. This is point number two. God answers when Doug calls. Now, I don't want you to write Doug on yours. I want you to put your name in that blank. Because the Bible is very, very personal. So, when Richard calls, God answers. When Cindy calls, God answers. When Daniel calls, God answers. When Jamie calls, God answers. He's a real and personal God. There's really no substitute for this, this personal relationship. And see, David, David goes to this military term. You've all seen movies where, you know, there's a king and, you know, the old ones where they gather and they march out with their swords and their horses and maybe their bows if they were that advanced at that point in history. But when they're camping at night, when the army is camping, who's in the middle? The king. The most important dude is in the middle. But in this image that Paul says, the king isn't in the middle of the campground. The king is surrounding us. Oh my goodness. 
the God of the universe encamps around those who fear him. We talked about that a few weeks ago in our small group. What it means to fear God, to respect God, to be in awe of God. He surrounds and protects those people. Completely different image than what we see here on earth. So you've got to have a very personal, first-hand, private faith experience with Jesus if you want to experience this. You can't ever build confidence in God by wishing for it or going to church by listening to other people um, talk about their faith in God. You know, just reading the Bible doesn't necessarily give you the faith. Yes, you hear about it and you understand, but you have to put that faith into practice. You have to have that real relationship with God. So you've got to call out to Him. And really, honestly, the most, most of the time we don't call out until we're in trouble, until we need Him. Janie, um, I'm going to... Let her tell you a little bit about the last day of her mom's life. Most of y'all know that she, her mom had Alzheimer's and we went through a really difficult time. And so um, I wanted you to hear from Janie what, what happened on that last day. Okay, now Janie, stand up and just look at everybody because a lot of people, she works in the back all the time, so a lot of people don't know this is my wife. This is my wife, Janie. Everybody say hi, Janie. Hi, Janie. She, would rather not, she would rather vomit than stand up here and talk to you, so she's going to talk to me. All right? I told her she didn't have to face y'all. So I want you to share with us what happened on that last day. Um, my brother and I uh, had gone up to see my mom because I called and um, mom had stopped eating uh, probably on Monday of that week. And I called my brother and sister and said, hey, you know, we need to, if you need to say something, you need to say it this week. And so uh, my brother came down and, uh, on Friday and we spent the morning uh, with her and uh, just had a good time. She was having trouble breathing and everything, and it was just coming to a climax. And I knew the end was near. So when I left that morning, um, I just went home. And when I'm really serious about something, I go into my bedroom and close the door, and then I go to the bathroom and close the door because I need two layers of protection. Mm -hmm. Privacy. Because people will get to me. And so um, I went into my bathroom and just got on my face before the Lord and cried out. And I said, Lord, I know I've been trying to keep her with me all these years. But I can't. I can't take it anymore. And please take her home. Please come get her. And so I think the Lord had prepared me throughout the day. Um, I'd been reading a book that had just comforted me. I just felt God's presence with me all day. Well, Hannah was having a slumber party because it was her birthday that night, and so I was busy getting ready for that. And It was time to go get pizza to feed the girls, and so Doug and I went to uh, pick up some pizza. And as we were driving, I looked and saw the sunset. And it was the fluffiest, most beautiful, spectacular pink sunset I've ever seen but right through the middle of the pink was this gold shaft of light shaft of light and it kind of landed on the carton alone and I told Doug I said Jesus is coming to get mom tonight and um, I just had that peace and I kind of thought that was true and when I said it I thought wow are you ready for that and when she said it, I was like, that's a sweet story, baby. <laughs> I didn't know the rest of this, okay? I didn't know the backstory. I was just like, okay, I hope that's true. 
And I was thinking, I'm going to have to comfort her if this doesn't happen. <laughs> so um, went home, delivered the pizza, had birthday party, summer party, yeah, yeah, all that. And um, I continued reading the book that I'd been reading, and God was just preparing me. Are you ready? And, I, and well, as I was reading the book, I said, okay, God, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. And uh, about 30 minutes later, we got the phone call that Mama had passed away. And I just knew I had a piece in my heart that it was okay. We got home from the Cartmel home that night, sometime after midnight. And uh, Janie and I pray, and we, we lay in bed and hold hands. We pray every night. And she told me that story. And I went, wow. I, had no, I didn't know she'd been on her face crying out to God that it's time. Because we'd fought this battle for a long time. Um, her mom was an, an incredible woman. And, and to hear and to watch her go through this horrible disease, to watch what it did to Janie, because uh, she saw her almost every day, and, and to watch her go through that, and then to know that, I was like, I told the band this, and they were like, man, if Janie ever says the Lord's coming to get you, you better get ready, because it's happening <laughs> that day. And I said, yeah. So... Janie's faith in God is real because God has answered her prayers. Not just that one, throughout her life. And, and so we're going to sing another song. And I know you're standing up and sitting down. That's okay. I want you to... Some of you may not know this, but this song is I Sing Holy. And in the middle of it is the, the words from the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Because God is real, He's personal, and He's involved in the lives of His people. Let's stand let's sing.
Right now, you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edwards Syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We are praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child, and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, you were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, we've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today, I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You're also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours, and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now, and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep, and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope, and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down, and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh 7 pounds 3 ounces. You're growing and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fists and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture, 
Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well, you tipped the scales today at 8 pounds, 14 ounces. Quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch. How quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well. And although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son, mom and dad. during uh, difficult times that we find out what's really important. And uh, I want to cherish my time with my family. I'll see my mother-in-law again someday. And it's going to be a reunion. We're going to dance. To see this family and the strength they had to only have a child for 99 days. It shames me. Because so many times I think that I need more. There are very few things in life that are really important. And I want to challenge you to think about those things today. Don't buy the lie that you need more to be happy. The third thing is, on your listening guide, is God is very good. He's not a little good. He's very good. He's good in the good times. He's good in the bad times. 
And if you don't believe that, it's because you don't know Him. I've stood by many bedsides, watched people die. I've done lots of funerals. And if there is not an afterlife, then Christians are the biggest fool on the planet. I mean, the Bible even says that. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if there's no hope, then we're fools. But Jesus did rise from the dead. No one has ever disproven that. So I'm going to follow the risen guy the rest of my life because he's proven over and over that he's good. He says, when things are taken away that we discover what's really important. And, and this next verse is one of the most famous verses in the Psalms. It's one of my favorite as well. It's, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to write in this on your listening guide. Write, very good. Taste and see that the Lord is very good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David's saying, look, I can tell you all day long how good is. You can listen to other people talk about how good God is. But until you experience God for yourself, you will never know how good He is. You must taste and you must see. There must come a time when you put your faith in Him. Christianity, the the gift of being adopted into God's family, is the most costly free gift ever offered. It costs God His Son. So that if you put your faith in Him, you ask Him to adopt you, He then transfers all of your guilt from your sin onto Jesus Christ and you get into heaven on the basis of what Jesus did. See, David's saying, man, you, you, you think the things that you're holding on to are good? They're nothing compared to what God wants for you. And see, if David were here, he'd tell us that message, but David's not here. And even in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it says, David served God in his generation, then he died. He dies. (laughs) So he's not here. I want that written about me. Doug served God in his generation. Then he died. I want that written about you. And in order for that to be written about us, we've got to be looking for opportunities to say to people, man, what you think is going to make you happy is not going to make you happy. And if God asks you to give it up, it's because it wasn't good for you in the first place. Because God is exceedingly good. And he has something better, but you're holding on so tight what you think is good that you're going to miss what God has which is always better for you so we've got to look and we've got to invite people to come and to taste and see that the Lord is very good today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and I just thought it was appropriate that before we do Thanksgiving to be reminded of what's really important And so the Lord's Supper, the way we do it here, if you're a Christ follower, you're welcome. You don't have to be a a church member to take the Lord's Supper. But here's the thing. The Lord's Supper, you always look back to Jesus dying on the cross. You remember why you're taking the Lord's Supper. It's because you are His. You were bought with a price. You're supposed to look at your life and make sure there's no sin in your life. You're supposed to confess all your known sins. You're supposed to look at others. If you are in, in open conflict with another brother or sister in Christ, do not come and take the Lord's Supper until you make that right. And then I already told you that the last part is you proclaim Jesus. Not only did he die, not only did he raise from the dead, but he's coming back. So we're going to play uh, play some music for you as you are ready. If you feel ready, you come and take the Lord's Supper and then go back and sit down. Uh, I I don't want to dismiss you yet because we're going to we're going to sing a song of celebration and praise before we head out of here. So go ahead and cue that music. When you're ready, there's a table here, here and at the back. Just head to the one nearest to you.
if you haven't had a chance, we're going to leave this stuff out for a few minutes after the service today. We're going to uh, stand and we're going to sing one final song. We have three things at the back. We have a joy basket. All of our church members, regular tenders, that's where you give. There's a registration card basket. If you have prayer concerns, uh, if you need... Um, to talk with me, write that on there. If you're interested in being baptized, you can write that on there. Put that in the basket back there. And there's third basket. It's our bagel basket. Everything goes in there, goes to debt. We believe we're supposed to get out of debt as quickly as possible and build a new building someday in the future. And so every penny that goes in there goes to pay for our debt. Um, but we'll leave the elements out. If you need to talk to me, I'll be up here for a few minutes afterwards. Our 101 class will start in just a few minutes. Um, if you, if you're staying for 101 and you have children, go ahead and go get them. And then when we make the transition, when everybody's out and we start our class, then you can take them back for childcare, um, during that time. So let's stand. We're going to sing glory to God forever. And when we're finished with this, you're dismissed. Glory to God forever.
you got. 